Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. So we are, uh, we are excited to get that, that series started next week. If you want to be a part of that series, you don't need to sign up or register or anything like that. We do have child care available. You don't need to register for that either. Just bring your kids. We'll take care of them while you go to the class. And the class is going to meet in the theater, so the theater room over here. And it'll start meeting next week at 9 o'clock. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that. Really excited about the possibility of, of what that class and um, what that equipping piece will do for our students, for our parents as we engage in those conversations that are so critically important. I said last week, like, I've got a couple of teenagers that are coming up, and I'm just like, I'm as confused as anybody in some ways about how to, like, help them navigate through a, a time in their life and in a culture that is so confusing, so much more confusing than the one that I grew up in. And so I hope you'll take advantage of that. I'm looking forward to how that's going to impact our church as well. So welcome to Kickoff Sunday here at North Bible Church. Uh, year t- uh, 2022, of course. If this is your first kickoff Sunday with us, I want to explain a little bit about what we're doing here this morning and why this is a unique Sunday in the life of our church. And I think the best way to explain it is just by saying, like, in the current church schedule, we basically have two new years. We have two times of it where we have a new year. We have New Year, of course, at the beginning of January, but then also we have a new year that happens right around this time when the school year starts back up. And that's especially true for a church like ours in the Phoenix area where we've got a lot of young families because for the most part during the summer, all of us try to do everything we can to get out of here during the summer as, as, as much as we can for as long as we can. And so that results in kind of this summer break, not only just for schools, but also for churches. And in a lot of ways, you know, our, our kind, of, kind of our meetings, our small group meetings, some of our events, our ministries come to a little bit of a halt over the summer, and we do take a bit of a break. Now, we have some great events like VBS and camps that happen, but for the most part, our ongoing ministries take a little bit of a break for the summer until we get back into the school season. And this becomes kind of our second new year when school starts back up. And so that's why we have a kickoff Sunday. We focus on these things as we get started back into the year. There are at least a few different things that we look forward to. The first is a time of regathering, and that's what we're doing here this morning, right? We've got a great attendance here at this service because everybody's kind of come back into town, and hopefully you've got a chance to reconnect and regather with some people maybe you haven't seen a lot in the past few months. That's why we're having the the picnic or the indoor picnic right inside the air conditioning uh, after this service because that's more than just about giving free food and celebrating. It's about us regathering together, having a chance to catch up with one another after having maybe felt like we were ships passing in the night throughout this entire summer. And so we're regathering. Secondly, we are re-engaging. You know, as summer break happens and our calendars get crazy, a lot of us kind of pull out of a lot of different things that we would typically do uh, from day to day and week to week, and our schedules totally change. And one of those things can be, you know, church attendance, church involvement, uh, serving in church, and those kinds of things. And so when we get back and we get our schedules more normal as the school year begins, right, we challenge one another to re-engage. To continue to be here on Sunday mornings, to re-engage with our small groups as they begin meeting again, to re-engage in areas of service maybe that you had to lay down for the summer break and now you might be picking those back up. So it's a time of re-engagement. It's also a time, finally, of refocusing. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning, this idea of what it means for us to refocus as we move into this kind of new, this new piece of the year together. Now, uh, exactly what refocusing means, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, when you start into the year, a lot of people do what with the new year? They make New Year's resolutions, right? And, of course, New Year's resolutions are built upon two things, typically, reflecting and then refocusing, right? And so, 
In other words, like one of the most, of course, popular resolutions is losing weight, right? Everybody's probably been through that resolution before. And part of that is, a, is an, and part of the reason we come to that conclusion is because there's some reflection that goes on. In other words, I'm looking at my current state. I'm a little bit, uh, you know, less healthy than I want to be. I've got a little bit more pounds on me than I really want to. And so as we reflect over the last year, we think to ourselves, well, what has gotten me here? Well, maybe it's been unhealthy eating habits. Maybe it's been that I haven't worked out enough. And so as a result of that reflection, then you might refocus yourself in the coming year on things like eating better, having a better diet, making sure that you exercise more, those kinds of things, right? So that's an example of what it looks like to refocus. That's a bit of what we're going to be doing here this morning. Now, we all know that for the most part, resolutions don't work. If you don't know, I don't mean to shatter your, your <laughs> sensibilities about that, but the reality is for the most part, resolutions don't work. In fact, researchers tell us that most resolutions don't even make it through the month of January on average. But that doesn't mean that the idea of a resolution uh, isn't a good idea. In fact, the process of reflecting and refocusing is an important thing to do, not only for individuals, but also to do as churches as well. And so we're going to be able, right, so we're going to do a little bit of that here this morning. A little bit of reflection, a little bit of refocusing, starting, basically kind of establishing a path for us to go forward into this next year or so together. So what we're doing today, uh, uh, so that's what we're doing today, and I'm going to start with a question. The question also happens to be the title of this sermon. I want you to think about this as I ask it. What should the church be? If you were to answer that personally, what, would, what should the church be? If you could make the church be whatever you want it to be, what would it look like in your mind? How would it feel? What would it be characterized by? What should the church be? And maybe the more important question related to this is why. Why would it be that thing, or why should it be that thing that you're thinking right now the church should be in your mind? And I'm not asking that just as a rhetorical question. I'm asking it from the standpoint of someone who is a part of the church what should the church actually be? We should have some ideas, people who are a part of a church, as people who are attending church, participating, maybe even a member of a church, what the church should actually look like. And I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot this morning. I'm not going to ask you to yell at the answer or anything like that or post your answer on social media. But I do want you to think of a bit about it. And I think whether you realize it or not, you've probably already given some thought to this question in some ways. Otherwise, you wouldn't probably be here this morning, right? You might be at another church, or you might be at brunch with friends instead of being here at church. But in some ways, you decided to be here because you thought to yourself, well, there are some things at least at North Bible Church that are like what a church should be like. And so I want to be a part of that, and I want to attend that church this morning. Now, as you think about that question a little bit more, that question is actually really complex. In fact, I've been in ministry, in, in church ministry, for nearly, for about 20 years now. And over these 20 years, I obsessively think about this question, I don't know how many times a week. I can't even count the amount of times I think about this question in one form or fashion and another. What should the church be like? Now, look, I, I've largely been obsessed with that question. I realize that as a result of my experience, I've seen a lot of churches define what they believe the church should be like. And typically, when churches define what that, what that means, for them, it becomes either their mission statement or their vision statement. We're going to talk about vision today, but I want to clarify a couple of things on the front end. Is that we've already been given the mission statement of the church by Jesus himself. We know it as the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28, and I want to read it for you now. This is what we are supposed to be doing as the church. Jesus has already given us a mission statement. He says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's the mission statement. That's what the church is supposed to be about. No matter what age we're a part of, no matter where we're located, that is the mission statement of the church. Now you may know this, but we've also been given actually the enduring vision statement of the church as well. In other words, if the vision is how we accomplish the mission, Jesus has actually given us the vision statement as well. This is what we know is the greatest commandment, and it's in Matthew chapter 22. And it says this in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the task then of each church is to take that mission and that vision that's been given to us by Jesus and to contextualize that into our own local expression of it. And what I mean by that is that we bring those two things, those two timeless callings of the church, into the current setting in which we're in. So the time that we're in, the culture that we're in, the nation that we're in, the city that we're in, the neighborhoods that we're in, it's a calling to bring those things into context, and then we express it in a way that makes sense to us and that fulfills the ultimate calling of the church. In fact, you may know that here at North Bible Church, our way of contextualizing the mission and vision of Jesus is to say that we are people who love God, love one another, and love the world. That incorporates those two things together that we just talked about, and it's in a way that makes sense. It's a way that we can remember. It's a way that's tangible to us as we move forward in the mission of the church. And so what we're doing is just putting that into context for us. Now, it's the work of then contextualizing the mission constantly. That's the work of like what we do together as the church. We spend a lot of time as elders and as staff members talking about what does it mean for us to contextualize the mission of Jesus in the world. Now, we don't say the word contextualize. I don't know that we've ever said that during any elder meeting, and maybe we've said it once or twice during staff, but that's essentially what we're doing. We're taking this mission to reach the world, to make disciples, and to love uh, the Lord, and to love our neighbor as ourselves in everything that we do, whether we're planning an event, a ministry, whatever it may be. And in the end, right, this is the calling that we have. And you probably have done this in your own life, whether you realize it or not, right? If you've ever asked yourself, how do I explain my faith in a way that makes sense to my neighbor or my friend who doesn't know anything about the church, and you try to tell your story, and they ask you what you believe, and you try to explain your faith in a way that makes sense to them, you're contextualizing the gospel. That's what you're doing. You're telling the good news of the kingdom in a way that makes sense to someone who may or may not have any kind of reference to scripture or Christian theology or anything like that. We just went through a series on the parables of Jesus this summer. And what Jesus is doing largely when he's telling these parables is contextualizing the message of the kingdom of God. He's explaining a heavenly reality through earthly terms, examples, stories, and images that would have made sense to the audience that he's speaking to in a way that helps them understand and make sense of what he's trying to communicate. The Apostle Paul once said, I became all things to all men so that by all means I might reach some of them with the gospel. That's the contextualization of the mission of God. So it's this process that we go through that then forms the mission. And so there's a point in all this. The reason that I keep using this word contextualize is because this is the question that we ask ourselves when it comes to, to saying, okay, where are we going forward today as a church? And so I want to talk about at least a couple of things that I feel like as a leadership team, but also as the lead pastor and kind of processing all that we've been through and, uh, and kind of where we're at right now and where we feel like God is calling us going forward that relate to then the vision of our church going forward. 
And I want to do two things with the message then today. The first one is talk about how we are currently contextualizing the mission of of Jesus in our current setting. This is where we're at right now. This is our vision for now. And then I want to talk about what that means for us going forward. So this is how our vision for North is calling us and propelling us forward. I'll talk about those two things here this morning. And I want to start, as we start into that, I just want to start this off by saying, I don't want to revisit the past couple of years any more than anybody else does <laughs> for various reasons. But I do think that we need to touch on some of these things because that is a part of our context. That is a part of why, where, we are, where we are right now and how we got to the place that we are right now. And it informs then how we need to go forward as well. So I want to start here. I started here at North in August of 2019. That's when I started here on staff, which means this month marks my third anniversary here at North. I've been here for three years now. Now, over these past three years, I could say that in many cases, this has been, this has been three years that have been full of trials, been full of cha- changes, been full of, in some cases, difficulty and conflict. And we've had conflict and disagreement pretty much just like every other church. We've experienced people leaving the church, pretty much just like any other church in America as well. No need to really rehash all that, but I say, I say that to point out the, the fact that we have been through a significant time of trial over the past few years. Again, just like many other churches have been. And when we go through difficulty and trials, whether you go through this in your own life or whether we go through this as a church, you know that oftentimes when you're trying to figure out what God is doing, that this is a testing of our faith as God is bringing us through these trials, where God actually reveals certain things through the trials, through the difficulties we face. And those things are sometimes things that very personally relate to who we are. And sometimes when we see those things revealed, they're good things, there are good things, but there are also bad things, some things that God wants to work on, that God wants to, uh, that God wants to, for lack of a better term, transform and sanctify and change. And most of us have probably experienced that in our own lives before, right? Where God uses a difficult time in your life or a trial in your life to reveal certain things that he wants to change and that he wants to improve in your character. Now, in, in, in some ways, in, in, to call you closer to following him as well. And if that time of trial is deep enough or if it's long enough, you actually become a different person at the end of that trial than you were in many ways before you entered it. And I would say this, that in many cases in our church, we have become a different church than the church that I started at in 2019. We're going to get into that here a little bit in a little bit. But that's not necessarily a bad thing because listen to what James says in James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now look, the trials of the past few years started with getting a new pastor. Hopefully that wasn't too much suffering that came on when when we got a new pastor, but that's a trial, right? That's, that's a significant change in the life of a church. So we're getting a trial, and of course we hit COVID and all the COVID-related devastation, not only just COVID and how it changed our world, but a lot of us, you know, either knew people or experienced people who got really sick. Some of us had people that we knew that died as a result of COVID, and so there's all that devastation that we're kind of all bringing into this as well. Um, we, we, we faced a lot of conflict regarding, of course, the political and social issues that were swirling around. And I know it can be easy at times to focus on what we've lost, but I want to say this. When we take into account all that we've been through in the past few years, 
I think in a lot of ways it's miraculous that we are where we are right now. And it's the miraculous hand of God that has brought us to the place where we are right now. To where I don't feel like we're just trying to survive and get by. I feel like here at North that we are thriving. There are a lot of great things that we can look at and say, God is doing this among us. And it's really, really exciting. And so he's, we've not only gone through some difficulties, but God has obviously brought us through in some great ways. So then knowing then, though, that God reveals things out of trials, we've been constantly asking the question, what is God teaching us about North Bible Church? What is it that God wants us to learn? What is he revealing about who we are as the church? For good and for bad, for faithful and unfaithful ways, in ways that look like Jesus and in ways that don't look like Jesus. And in this process, I want to briefly walk you through what I think this has looked like from my perspective. Because I think whether you're facing trials in your own personal life or whether you're facing trials as a church, there are certain stages to trials and difficulties that we face that start with a process of revealing. Now that's the first step, I think, or that's the first stage that we went through and we've been through really kind of going through the past few years. And I don't know that it's completely stopped. There are still always things that God is revealing to us. But what gets revealed during a time like this is who you really are as a church, what you're doing well and what you're not doing well. And I think there's a lot of things that we learned in this stage about our church. If you were paying attention, one thing that we could say that was really good about what we saw in our church is the way that our people responded to one another. When we had needs, and we've had more needs than just COVID issues, we've had uh, several uh, cancer diagnoses throughout our church. We've had financial difficulties that people have faced. We'd have mental health issues that people have faced. We have people who have dealt with dying loved ones and gone through all that. And in each case, we've seen an overwhelming response from people within our church to reach out, to serve, to provide resources, to, uh, to, to meet and care and pray and do whatever they can to help people who are struggling and in difficulty within our church. On the other hand, I would say one of the things that was revealed is that we didn't do a great job of taking care of people outside our church. We didn't do a great job of taking care of people that were outside just in our neighborhoods and our communities. And I don't say that as saying we don't care about them, that there's a lack of love for our community. I would say that because we just didn't, weren't really aware, really, of the needs that were out there. And this is one of the things that we're going to talk about as we go forward in our vision is how do we connect to our community in a way so that if something like this were to happen again and things got shut down, that we would just intuitively know what it is that our community needs and we'd be able to respond without having to ask each individual person, what do you need? Instead, we'd be able to respond in a way that we know our community so well outside these doors that we would know just instinctively how to respond to help folks who are in need. And we would have those relationships and those connections in place. I would say another thing that got revealed during this time is that we have some uh, significant gaps in our discipleship. I would say that we need to focus more on what it means to follow Jesus in this world that is growing more and more complex, more and more fractured around us. We need to be discipled by God's words instead of being discipled by the latest media or political talking points. We need to understand what God's word says instead of relying on theories, whether that's a critical theory or a conspiracy theory. Because the reality is we have to have the worldview of what God is telling us through his word, what the kingdom looks like, so that we can filter that through all the other, or we can filter all the other things that come at us, all the other distractions that come at us, all the other claims that come at us through the ultimate truth of God's word. And look, the thing is with so many of those other things, they present to us not just theories, they actually create their own realities. They're alternate realities other than the reality of the kingdom of God. We need to live from the reality of the kingdom of God with Jesus as our one true king. 
And I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. We all know that our nation is divided in a lot of ways. People are angry about anything and everything right now. It seems like everybody's looking for a fight at any given moment. And people are, and it's chaotic for a lot of folks. But scripture tells us that's what will happen when you place your hope in this world. When you place your hope in this world and this world gets chaotic and this world gets angry and this world gets fractured, you're going to end up getting chaotic, angry, and fractured as well. Because no matter, as human beings, the thing that's true for us no matter who we are is that whatever is discipling us, we will look like that thing. So if we are angry and frustrated and, you know, divisive, and we look at our world that's angry and frustrated and divisive, and then we look at Jesus and realize that he's not like that, we should ask the question of what is it that is actually discipling us? Now look, in all of this, I think it's important for us to recognize the fact that this is at the heart of discipleship, right? It's not the world, if we're placing our hope in the world, when the world begins to fracture and fade away, we will do the same thing. But if we have our hope in the one who is the king and his everlasting kingdoms and the promises that he gives us, we'll be able to live as kingdom people no matter what's going on in the world around us. So that's some of the, I mean, there's a lot more probably that was revealed during these times. I think those were important to focus on. And so as a result of revealing, then we go into a stage of reflecting. Now, it's normal to ask a question when you see things that God's revealing in our lives or in the the church. It's normal to ask a question, why? Why did these things happen the way that they did? Why did we react the way they did? Why did they turn out the way that they did? And that question of why drives you into a stage of reflection. And I think as a church, we've been through that. I know that as leaders, we've been through asking that question, okay, why did we respond the way that we did? Why was there a gap in our mission in terms of knowing what the needs of our neighbors are? If we ask the question why, I think part of that is that we just don't know our neighbors as much as we should. And so what we need to do is make an effort to get to know our neighbors better. So that, again, the next time something like this happens, we know exactly how to respond. Why is there a gap in our discipleship over things like political and social issues? Well, I think part of it is that we're not rooted enough in God's word and understanding of the kingdom and how that plays out. But I would also say that we didn't do a great job of talking to other people who had different perspectives than the ones that we personally hold. And I'm not just talking about like the people outside the church or the people in another church. I'm talking about people within our same church, the same church within this body at North Bible Church. The people we've worshipped with for years and we worship Jesus together and we agree on so much according to the gospel and because we disagreed on this issue or that exterior issue, it just drove a wedge in our unity within the church. Simply because we couldn't sit down with humility and love and listen to one another and listen to somebody who might have a different perspective. There was a gap in that as well. That's part of the reflection in all this. We couldn't do that for the sake of unity in the body to promote brotherly love among us. And so what happens is people put up walls and then they ultimately left. So after revealing and reflecting happens, we get to a place really that I think this is the place we've been for the past several months. Starting kind of at the beginning of the year, maybe the end of last year, but really the beginning of this year and leading us to kind of where we're at now. We're in this stage, we're on the tail end of this stage, and it's a stage of resetting. I think resetting naturally happens after a significant change 
which can be kind of either good or bad, depending on the change that happens. I think in our case, there's been a combination of good and bad changes that have happened that have led us to a place where we've reset. Because of all the change that we've experienced over the past three years, we've experienced quite a bit of natural resetting, right? That's going to happen anytime you get a new lead pastor anyways. You get a new lead pastor, especially if that pastor is different than the one before, there's going to be natural resetting that happens. The church will change, and it'll reset into kind of a new form. Now, of course, when you add all the other things that have happened and the way that our culture and the world has changed at such a startling pace around us, it's forced a lot of resetting to take place. On top of that, we've lost some people here at North, and we've gained some new people here at North. If you're new with us, we're so glad that you're here. But when you lose, when you lose people and then you bring in new people, natural resetting again happens. You become a new church by nature. And we've all heard of the Great Resignation, right? You guys heard that term? Right? The Great Resignation has been a, a term that's been coined to, to you know, refer to the, or describe the phenomenon that's happened over the past couple of years where a lot of people have resigned from their jobs, have, have either left the workforce or have gone to another job or another career, that kind of thing. By the way, why are terrible things often referred to as great? Like the Great Plague, the Great Depression, the Great War, the Great Resignation? I don't know, I didn't figure that out, but... That's beside the point. <laughs> church researchers have, have, have recognized, though, that what's happened in the church recently has been what they call a great reshuffling. Now, we've certainly lost some people from churches that'll just, that are just not going to church anymore, and they haven't come back after COVID, but we've also experienced a reshuffling, and I've seen, I, I've seen that happen among churches in our city as well. I've talked to other pastors. We've kind of seen this phenomenon happening among us as well, is that there's been you know, just kind of members that have moved from one church to the other. So from church A, they moved to church B. From church B, they moved to church C. From church C, they moved to church A. And there's kind of been a reshuffling of the church in some ways in local churches within cities. And, um, you know, there are various reasons for that. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think in some ways God is behind that. He's reshuffling his church in some ways that causes us to reset and forces us to be fresh and to reimagine what we can be. And so that's, ha- but that's happened here at North as well. But real, and that's really the biggest reason. It's not, it's not just North, but over the past kind of two or three years, the reality is that we have become uh, a, ch- a new church in a lot of different ways. And of course, for all these reasons, when you become a different church, you have a natural reset that happens. But when you see that happen as church leadership, what you've got to do is you've got to reset what you're doing as well in response to that. And so we've had to do things here at North, especially over the past year, that have related to things like resetting our approach. We're resetting our vision in some ways. That's what today is kind of about. We've reset some of our ministries. We've reset expectations. We've even had to reset things like calendars. We do different events than, we do, than we've done in the past. Uh, we've reset budgets. We've reset staff roles and responsibilities, all in response to this reality that God has reset us as a church. Now, the great thing about a reset is that it feels like a new beginning, and in many ways it is. It's an opportunity for us to say, okay, this is what we're going to chart going forward as we've hit the tail end of this reset period. And I think that's ultimately where we're at. I think we're mostly done with the reset stage. I think we've hit the end of the reset stage, and it's now time for us to move into the next and final stage, which is the stage of responding. I think we're at a place now where we are able to respond. Responding is all about the actions that you take after you go through a time of revealing and reflecting and resetting. Responding is all about, okay, now where do we go from here? That's what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about here this morning. You know, um, I don't mean to imply that we've done zero responding to this point. 
right? We've certainly responded here and there over the past few years, but this is a time where I feel like we are primed and ready to fully respond going forward to what we feel like God has taught us, what we feel like God has shown us about who we need to be as North Bible Church going forward. And it's the responding part where those two parts of vision that we talked about earlier come together. The parts about refocusing and re-engaging. So first, let's talk about refocusing. You know, one of the blessings of going through a time of trials is that those trials have a way of of forcing you back to the things that really matter. Maybe you've been through this in your life. You've been through a really difficult time, and that difficult time just kind of forces everything else into the periphery. In some ways, it kind of just chops off all the other things that are around, and you get back to the place of what is essential, what is most important in life. And in the life of the church, that happens as well. From time to time, we get to a place like we're in right now where we've got to go back to a place where we we are focusing on what are the essentials of what this church is supposed to be. And that process has a way of crystallizing, again, our identity and our calling and asking what the church or who the church should be. Now, as I've refocused through this personally, I've thought a lot about this, and these scenes always come to mind when I think about it. The scenes about when Jesus originally started the church, and I'm not talking about necessarily Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, all that. I'm talking about even further back. When Jesus first begins to call his 12 disciples, and remember that Jesus comes to them and he says, come follow me. But notice the thing that he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come follow me and we're going to go start a church. Or come follow me, we're going to go change the world. Or come follow me, you're going to see some amazing things, and here's some things taught that you've never heard taught before. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see a man rise from the dead. Come follow me. He didn't say any of those things. He said instead just simply, come follow me. And here's the point. He didn't say, come follow my mission, come build my church. He said, come follow me. The primary calling that he gave to those 12 men Even though they would experience all of those things that I just said, the primary calling that he gave to them was come follow me. It was a personal calling, first and foremost, to Jesus himself. Now, as we talk about what it means to refocus, we can never lose sight of that as a church. The reason we exist is Jesus, to be the body of Christ in this world, to be called to him first and foremost. And I know it's probably not surprising to hear a pastor say that on a Sunday morning during a sermon. We need to follow Jesus. We need to be with Jesus. Right, but I I want us to remember that, especially as we get to talking about these are the things that we want to do. This is the mission that we want to accomplish. Because ultimately, those things that we do, the mission of the church, the church itself, the ministries that we participate in, they're all great things. They're all very important. But they're only as important to the degree that they come out of our first calling to be with Jesus. That's the only way that they're designed to function well. You know, earlier this year, we went through the book of Revelation, and there's a great description of what this kind of thing looks like, what it looks like for Jesus' followers to be with Jesus as they follow him. It comes from Revelation chapter 14, and it says this in verses 4 and 5, It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. You know, this is during John's vision of the 144,000 who are described as people of the Lamb. Notice how they're described here. They are people of the Lamb because they are with him. They are so close to him that they're identified by him wherever they go. Right? They're redeemed by the one who has been, who, or they're, they're identified as the one who, by the one who has redeemed them as the Lamb and who has brought them together blameless. 
And as a result, they follow him wherever he goes because he is their one heart's desire. That's their identity. That's who they are. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. And I think more than anything, what we see is that they are with him. Maybe you have someone in your life where they're so important to you. Maybe they're a good friend or your spouse that um, just being with them is the most important thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can go somewhere with them, but where you go and what you do is actually secondary to the fact that you're actually with them. I mean, you could be in your back patio or you could be on a vacation to Hawaii. Now, obviously, there's a difference there. But the reality is that the most important thing is that you are with that person who you love and adore so much. I think in some ways that's an analogous to what's happening here. Is that the people who love the lamb, who are with the lamb, they're with him and they go on mission because that's where the lamb goes. He goes out into mission to seek and to save the lost, and they're with him. And so because they're with him, they do the things that he does, and they love the things that he loves as well. If you were with us in the Revelation series, you also may remember that this image of the Lamb is being picked up from the previous vision that John saw of Jesus, what we know as the Christophany in the throne room in Revelation chapter 5. Right? And in that place, John sees Jesus as the lamb who was slain. And there's myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands of God's people who are gathered at the throne because they have been redeemed and saved by the lamb who was slain. And it's that imagery that then is picked up in Revelation chapter 14. Now, one thing you may also know, if you remember that scene, is that Jesus is identified not only as a lamb, but he's also called the Lion of Judah by the elders who are there. Now, even though the lamb imagery like, takes over that scene, there's much more lamb imagery there. There's lamb imagery in Revelation 14. There's much more lamb imagery in Revelation as a total than there is the lion imagery. Um, it's tempting to just want to gravitate towards and emphasize the lion's imagery over the lamb when we think about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus at times. I mean, it makes sense, right? The lion is the apex predator. He's the one who's strong. He's the one who conquers his enemy. Lions are strong and threatening, and they're secure. The lamb, on the other hand, is the prey. The lamb dies. The lamb is somewhat weak. In fact, he's really weak. But the lion is strong. He's the king of the jungle. And that's why so many, like, high school, college, pro mascots are like lions or some derivative of lions. In fact, my own high school, went to Mountain Point here in Phoenix, is is the pride And a pride is a family of lions. Not just one lion, it's a family of lions. There's also a double meaning in there, of course, the pride of your school. I think it's still one of the greatest mascots ever. I love it. But at the same time, like, there are all kinds of mascots that are like lions or mountain lions or tigers or big cats that are threatening, that are like predator-type animals. And yet I can't think of a single school or sport team with the lamb as their mascot. Can you? And that's saying a lot because there are some really strange and unintimidating mascots out there. I don't know if you, if you know this, if you're aware of this. These are actual mascots that exist. The banana slugs, the pretzels, the okra, the beet diggers, and the QPs. Now, if you don't know what a QP is, I think it's QPI QP. That's a QP. That's a QP. That is a mascot for a high school in Columbia, Missouri. They actually have a full mascot outfit that somebody, some unfortunate soul has to wear that looks like that thing and walks around as a QP. That's their mascot, right? Now, obviously, I did a lot of research on weird mascots this past week, but I could tell you in all of my research, I didn't find one school that had a lamb as their mascot. 
And according to our instincts, we're like power and domination and control. A lamb is not appealing, right? Much less a slain lamb. And look, if we're to say that the kingdom of God, according to Revelation, has a mascot, it is the slain lamb. It is the lamb who was slain. That's the mascot of the kingdom of God. And look, it's not only our mascot, but he is our model as well. The slain lamb is compelled by love to lay down his life sacrificially so that all people can be saved and reconciled to God. And this is the lamb that we are said to follow, to go with him wherever he goes. He's not only our mascot in some general way, he is our model, the way that we're called to live our lives on mission. And that's exactly our vision going forward. If there's one thing, one image, one vision, one thought that I would like you to latch onto and get from today's message, it's that. That we want to be people who follow the slain lamb wherever he goes. Because it's exactly who she, we should want to be. It's people who, who, who walk in lockstep with the lamb. Who act like the lamb. People who lovingly sacrifice so that all people can be reconciled and saved and brought to their creator. And so as we refocus and re-engage, that's who we're going to be. I believe this is a critical time, this time that we're resetting again. It's so significant, in fact, that I believe that over the next year or so, the, the kind of mold is going to harden on who we become for the next five to ten years here at North Bible Church. Right? We, we're, we're in such a place where we're able to reset, and there's a lot of newness and a lot of new beginning opportunities that we have here at this church. But this next year is, is critical, and who we become over the next year, I do believe, is going to determine in large part who we are for the next five to ten years going forward. And so I believe it all starts now, and it starts with following the Lamb wherever He goes. And so if you're ready to go with me on that, I want to give you a way to respond this morning. At the beginning of this year, in January, I gave another vision message talking about a challenge of three things. I don't know if you remember those things. You may or may not. But I challenged you in your life to be more connected, and connected had to do with relationships. We talked about looking at relational health that you have in your life. It starts with your relationship with God. So how connected are you in your relationship with God? And then how connected are you horizontally? How connected are you in the relationships that you have in your life, especially the important ones? How healthy are those relationships? So we challenged you a little bit with that. We also challenged you with this idea of being rooted. Are you living your life rooted in God's word? And rooted in what he is telling you and how he is directing you rather than all the other narratives and talking points in the world that can so easily disrupt that root system and cause us to be rooted in something else. Are you rooted in God's word? And then finally, equipped. How much are you living into the story of God? Are you following Jesus wherever he calls you to go? Are you getting a sense that Jesus is out in the world seeking and saving the lost and you want to be with the lamb wherever he goes? As you're thinking about that, and as you're kind of maybe doing a mental checklist of those things, or a mental checkup even of those things, I want to tell you about some things that we're doing practically to come alongside you in those areas. First is it applies to connected and rooted. I believe our new Sunday morning format is designed to do that very thing. First of all, it's designed to really connect us together. One of the things that we have seen throughout the summer, even though, our, you know, even though we've kind of been hit and miss and people have been gone and now people are coming back kind of thing, uh, is that when we gathered together, we really felt more connected as a church. And I think in the, given all that we've been through, right, it's so important right now in the life of our church that we feel like we're in unity together and we're connected together worshiping as one church together on Sunday mornings. 
So that's why we brought back the one service. That's part of the reason why we brought back this idea of one service. Now also along with that is that this also, this time slot of moving to 1030 has also opened up an opportunity to do something that we've been wanting to do for years here, which is to have a space for intentional discipleship. When we decided to go to one service, it wasn't just, you know, we didn't just get to this place of, uh, of the nine o'clock hour and think to ourselves, well, what are we going to do with nine o'clock now? Let's just fill it with some stuff so that there's something going on here and the lights are on in this building. No, we, we, we actually saw part of our decision in going to this route was to say that nine o'clock is now going to provide us with a time for intentional discipleship so that we can be even more rooted in what we're supposed to be rooted in. The example of the classes starting next week is a great example of that. How do we face, I said earlier, one of the things we struggled with in our discipleship gap is how do we respond to all the changing things around us? How do we respond to an even more and more complex world with truth and with an understanding of God's perspective on these things? That's a perfect example. That sexuality class is a perfect example of how we're meeting there. And so we're going to start with that first class, and we've got two or three other ones that we're currently working on that we're going to roll out later on this fall. So there'll be two or three other classes that we add to this that'll continue this fall, and then we'll continue going into the spring, and so on and so forth. But nine o'clock opens an opportunity for us to be more rooted in that way. Now, in addition to discipleship classes, we're going to be starting a new sermon series next week that's going to be focusing on this very thing that we've been talking about this morning. How do we follow the Lamb out into the world, being people who love our neighbors sacrificially so that all people can be saved and reconciled to God. That series is going to be called The Flourishing Church. We're going to start it through uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. We see several callings that God gives his people in Jeremiah chapter 29 about what it means to live as exiles in Babylon. And we're going to pull those commands out and make an entire, we're already doing that, pull that, those commands out and we're making an entire series on that. So we can continue this conversation of what it means for us to live this way. And so when I tell you this is the vision of our church, I'm not just rolling it out here on a kickoff Sunday and saying, okay, let's go do it. Good luck. We're going to continue this series throughout the fall and what this looks like and talk about practically how we can move forward in this way. But we don't need to wait for that series to start loving our neighbors. So I want to present you with a handful of opportunities that if you are so inclined, and if you want to get involved in, you can get involved with today, right now, this morning. And so to do that, I want to bring up Wes Buchanan, who's our associate pastor. Give Wes a hand. Now, you may know that one of the things that Wes does here is Wes oversees our missions uh, ministry, which includes international missions as well as local outreach opportunities. And Wes has been hard at work over the past few months establishing partnerships with local organizations that will allow us to get out into our community and to meet tangible needs in a real way, and not just in a way where we check off the needs, but we are actually having opportunities to connect with people. We were looking for opportunities where we can establish relationships, not only with organizations, but establish relationships with real people and real families out into our community. And so Wes has been working hard on that. He's been meeting and establishing partnerships over the past few months with that, and then he's set up something for us to take advantage of this morning. And so I'll hand it over to you, Wes, to explain a little bit about what that looks like. Thanks. Thanks for giving me 20 minutes to talk, Jay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm only going to talk for like 18, so it's, it's cool. Actually, just a few minutes here. So I love the question, um, if our doors of our church closed, who would notice? If the doors of our church closed, who would notice? And I think one of the answers would be, you know, our folks in Africa, the orphanage, they would notice. The sex trafficking ministry we have in Belize, they would notice. Uh, Living Hope Center in Sholo, 
they would notice. And so on, many things that we're already involved with here at North. And one of the things we like to, to join and be a part of and participate in are things that you guys are already serving alongside. So if something's already bubbling up within our church, we want to get behind that. And so we have some new initiatives that we're going to add to, the, to our plate. We want to invite you guys to be a part of it. I'm going to put up a, um, a QR code. If you're interested, you can just take a picture of this QR code, or you can go to our website just right on the front page there. You can click on the link there. You can take a picture of that QR code. Uh, but essentially, there's four different new initiatives that we're going to par be participating in. And just a, a brief summary, so um, Hope Women's Center is a, is a great ministry that some of you have already been serving alongside them, and they come alongside families that are in crisis, whether it's you know, someone's finding themselves in unplanned pregnancy or the baby's already born and they need mentoring or they need uh, clothing or they need you know, diapers, things of that nature. So we're going to come alongside a Hope Women's Center. We're also going to come alongside Christian Family Care Agency who, that deals with foster care and adoption. We have already several families who... Uh, our foster parents, our adoptive parents here at North. We already have a great community in that way, and that's the, that's, the, that's the high call, high challenge, high need is to be one of those, but they offer a hundred ways for us to serve and come alongside Christian Family Care Agency, uh, whether also with mentoring, also with diapers. Uh, you can, there, there's a million ways to be, be involved in that. And so we have these different examples on the QR code or on the website. You can check the different things. Hey, I want to participate in this. I want to participate in that. We've also purchased a really cool coffee cart that is on its way in the ocean from Romania. And we will have this coffee cart in a few weeks, and essentially we'll have it out on display. We're going to serve excellent coffee. If you're a barista, let me know so you can help us participate in this ministry. But essentially what we're going to do is we're going to take this cart literally to the different apartment complexes, areas, festivals that are in town, and we're going to give away free coffee just to say, hey, we're here, we love you, we want to we participate, do life with you. And so we have this coffee cart uh, ministry. And, and then we have what's called Care Portal. And Care Portal works with DCS, so Child Protective Services here in Arizona. And there's a need that they are aware of before a family goes into foster care adoption, before they go into the system. So there's literally a gal named Christy that we're going to bring a stroller to today diaper. It's, it was a preemie that was born two weeks ago, and so preemie clothes, formula, all those different things, and all because DCS knows about this need. The need gets dropped into a care portal, online system, and then we get to say, we want to meet that very specific need. Go buy it from Walmart, Target, literally take it to their house, give it to them, you know, pray for them if you feel led, but there's just some four different new initiatives that are very practical ways for us to serve and come alongside our community, answering that question, if our church closed our doors, who would miss us? And that would be four ways in which we can do that. Thanks, right. Thanks Wes. Go ahead and scan that QR code. You can find the page. There's a, and, and when you scan that QR code, it's going to bring you a form where it gives you all kinds of different ways under each one of those ministries to volunteer. Small ways, big ways, uh, easy things to do, things that might take a little bit more involvement, whatever it may be. But we want you to join in with some, find some place, find some way that you can be a part of North being on mission. And so you can find that with the QR code. You can go onto our website as well and find it later if you want to look it up that way. Um, but we encourage you to take a look at that here uh, this morning. Now I want to close with just one quick story for you. It's a story that I've told before because it's a really personal story. I've, you've probably, maybe you've heard it before. A lot of you maybe haven't. 
But it's a story about how I got involved in full-time church ministry. I'll often have people ask me, like, oh, you're a pastor? How does somebody get involved in something like that? Well, this is in part how something like this happens. When I was in college, I was a part of a church that decided to go on a mission trip one year during spring break. And we decided to go over to San Diego State University for, their spring, for our spring break. They were not on spring break, so they were still in class. They had a different spring break than we did. And so our big idea was we're going to go over there and meet some students and just talk to them about Jesus and see, see what happens. Now, the way we decided to do that was, when there's about 30 of us college students that went over there together, loaded up two 15-passenger vans and drove from Tucson over to, San, over to San Diego to spend the week over there. And the way we decided to do this was to break up into smaller groups, about a handful, and do like evangelistic open-air skits. Yeah, it's every bit as bad and cringy as it sounds. It was, it at least was. And so we, <laughs> we get there, and there's this place in the middle of the campus. I think it's still probably there where uh, basically it's the hub of the entire campus. It's right in the middle. It's a high-traffic area. It's a place where students hang out during the day between classes and that kind of thing. And we decided, let's just do our skits right here in the middle of the campus. Now, it's not necessarily a bad idea, but I'll tell you the skits that we did were bad and just really, really cringeworthy. In fact, they were so bad in some ways that I remember kind of thinking to myself, I'd be surprised if, somebody, if anybody comes within 50 feet of us. Because the idea was like, try to gather a crowd that's watching the skits and then have an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus or pray with them or whatever it may be, right? And, uh, but we also know that God once spoke through a donkey, and I'm happy to report that God still modern day speaks through donkeys. Because there was actually a crowd that began to gather there. We certainly had people who just walked by, students who walked by, shook their heads and laughed at us and that kind of thing. But there was a crowd, at least of several students, who began to gather around the area where we were doing skits. And so I was standing around at the time. It wasn't my turn to do my skit yet. And I saw this guy who was standing there for several minutes and looked like he was really interested and impacted by some of the stuff. So I went over to him and I talked to him. I introduced myself, found out that his name was Gene. And I began to talk with Gene about what was going on in his life. Come to find out that he was really struggling in school. He'd had a bad semester with bad grades. That had started really a fight with his parents. And he was so, so he felt like all things were kind of crumbling around him. He wasn't doing well at school and he was fighting with his folks and a bunch of things were going on. And as he begins talking through this, he's getting pretty emotional about it. And as a student, as a college student myself, I could relate to some of that stuff. And I began to talk to him about, okay, this is the difference that I've seen in my life as I began following Jesus. I was a new Christian at the time, and so I was sharing a little bit about my story. And it was a way of contextualizing the gospel in a way that made sense to him. And as he's listening to this story, he's, you know, continuing to kind of get a little bit more emotional. And then we're talking a little bit more, and it wasn't long before he had to go on to class. And so he's like, I got to get to class. I get, it starts in a few minutes. And I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And she said, that'd be great. So I pray for him. And when we're done praying, like he's in full tear mode by this point. And, he's, and I said to him, you know, we're here all week. Can I arrange a time for us to meet where we can kind of sit down and spend some more time together? And he said, yeah, that'd be great. Give me his phone number. And we prayed phone tag for a couple days. And it wasn't until the last day we were there in San Diego, literally on our way out. It was just supposed to be a travel day. Uh, we were going from San Diego to Tucson to try to get home as soon as we could. And, and because I had an opportunity to talk to Gene and there was this opportunity to, to, to meet with him on campus, the entire group took a detour back to San Diego State University so that I could meet with Gene for, for a few minutes. And I remember we sat down on this bench right in the middle of his campus, and he said, you know what, I've been thinking a lot about what you talked about, what you said about, you know, your, your faith in Jesus, and I don't have a lot of church background, but I just got to tell you, I feel like that is something that I want to experience, and that's something that I want to know. So I led him to Jesus, talked a little bit about scripture, and then we prayed together. And at some point, I remember looking up and seeing the 15-passenger van. It seemed like all 30 of those college students had their faces pressed against the window, watching for what was going to happen. 
And I'm sure it was an amazing sight because as we're sitting on that bench, I'm praying and then Gene begins to pray out loud and he can barely get the words out. He's weeping so much, tears of joy. Still gets me even now as I talk about it. But I remember thinking to myself, as that scene happened, I thought to myself, this is one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. So I want to remember this as long as I can. So I tried to take a mental picture of what was going on in that moment. And the thing that came to mind was, I want to I do this as much as I possibly can with the rest of my life. And God used that desire in my heart on the seven-hour trip back to uh, Tucson to call me into full-time ministry. And it wasn't long before I you know, changed my major, got into a place where I could, you know, get my degree finished so I could go on to seminary, and in some ways the rest is history. But here's why I tell you that story now. I'll have to admit that there were at least a few times over the past three years where either we were in so much conflict as a church and people were upset about our mask policies or our policies in responding to COVID or sending me nasty emails about a phrase that I said in a sermon or a phrase that they thought I said in a sermon or a phrase that I never said in a sermon that they were upset about, whatever it was. And there were points where I was like, I was just throwing my hands up like, why am I doing this? What's the point of all this? Why do we even want to endure this anymore? And God would remind me, as he has several times in the past 20 years of ministry, about Gene and about what it, what, what it all got, where it all got started for me. And this is a season that has stripped away a lot from all of us personally, stripped away a lot from us as a church. But look, the calling is still there. The calling is still there. And for me, it's only crystallized my calling. That this is why we exist. To follow the Lamb wherever He goes and to watch Him change lives. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that as much as I possibly can for the rest of the time I have here on this earth. And I want to invite you guys to join us together as we figure out what that looks like here at North Bible Church. Let's pray. Father, we are asking you this morning that you would direct us, that you would give us vision. We are asking that your spirit would speak to us and lead us, would help us to see where the Lamb is going and where he wants to lead us. But first and foremost, Lord, we are asking that you would call us back to your heart, that we would be people whose first calling and primary calling is to Jesus. And then out of that, we follow the Lamb wherever He goes. But we ask for the faith to do that. We ask for the clarity to do that. Lord, we thank You that in so many ways, even though we have been through some tough times these recent years in our personal lives and in our church life and just in our world in general, that, Lord, this didn't shake You off Your throne. This didn't take You by surprise. And you have remained faithful throughout it all, even at times when we have remained, or when we have found ourselves unfaithful. When we've found ourselves wandering, Lord, you call us back faithfully to your promises and to the truth of your word because it's for our good. And Lord, we're asking you to do that again for us this morning. Would you call us forward in truth? And would you enable us and give us the faith to respond to whatever you call us to do, whatever you call, whoever you call us to be here at, at, at North Bible Church. And we pray that all these things would be pleasing in your sight. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Thank you again for joining us today, but the party's not over. We want to invite you to stay with us. We've got a free lunch prepared for you, Jimmy John sandwiches and all the rest. And so stay here with your families. Go grab your kids. And we've got some seating that's all throughout our building in the lobby, the cafe. I think some of the classrooms just find a place to sit down and have some time to regather and, uh, and, and, and uh, say hi to some folks you haven't said hi to in a while and catch up with people. So uh, as you leave though this morning, I uh, want to invite you to, um, if you need prayer, we have our prayer partners, the Hoshawaras, our prayer partners for this service. We also have prayer request cards that are located on the table as you leave here this morning. If you'll fill those out, drop them in the offering stands as you leave. We'll make sure that we're praying for those things and joining with you in prayer throughout this week. Great to see you all. Let's continue the party going. Join us for uh, lunch right now. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.